Welcome to Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. I'm your host, Christy Stang. Today, I'd like to welcome Allegra Lovejoy as our preacher. Allegra, thank you for sharing your words with us today. this episode in late October, which is autumn here in southern New England. Most Sunday afternoons, I hike up West Rock, the southernmost extent of the Metacomet Ridge, which runs up through Massachusetts all the way up to the Vermont border. Last week, I hiked up the ridge under cloudy skies and stood at the cliff overlooking the valley below. To my left, faint sunlight gleaming on a pond with visiting geese, and to my right, forest spreading out. The forest was every shade of red and yellow and green, and it seemed to me that God was dancing in these colors. It seemed that this patchwork is God's autumn robe, and in it, she dances. Later, A friend was telling me about Spinoza's ethics. I have never read Spinoza's ethics, but this friend had recently gotten into Spinoza's spiritual humanist writing and was excited about it. He told me that Spinoza believed that all was in God and God was in all. I thought back to God's patchwork autumn robe. Yes, I said, yes, she is. Despite what the philosopher says, it's easier these days than not to feel pretty distant from God. Distancing is the name of the game these days. Social distancing, we all know. But that's only the latest manifestation of deep chasms in our social and spiritual being. I want to name what social distancing did to us to not forget it, to not allow it to be a new normal. I want to name the chasms it created and those it merely enhanced. The long separation from family and friends and coworkers, the long separation from those strangers you only see in the checkout line or at the playground only 18 months ago, the long separation that showed us our longing and our yearning to be in communion. Skin hunger, some called it. The yearning of bodies to be close to other bodies, to be seen and known and connected in our humanity. Yet distancing is nothing new. How many have lived through life interrupted? Goodbyes unsaid. A life ended too soon. How many of us are estranged from ourselves, not knowing who we really are or could be, not remembering what it's like not to be alienated by the burden of stress? Estranged from the place we live, from our ancestors, 
from our own knowing and desires. There is little in this postmodern world or post-postmodern or whatever it is, I can't keep up, that helps us to not be alienated. Or to put it another way, there's so much that pushes us towards alienation from the value of our labor, from the earth, from other people and creatures, from our own minds unencumbered by the attention economy. The violent structures and norms of this global culture sell closeness to what's far away while stealing the intimacy with what's near. We become alienated and distant from earth, from our fellow creatures, from family and loved ones, from our very selves. It makes me wonder, what do people think of God in such a time? What, might someone ask, does God want for us if this is what we're getting? Under the circumstances, it would make sense to be angry with God, to feel let down, misled. It makes sense to allow a certain inner distance to develop between ourselves and God. The inner distance of silent resentment that the one who is said to give only good things, who is said to be part of the essential intimacy of all that is, allows such chasms and such violence to exist in our social body. During this plague year, I, like many others, turned to writings of people who also lived through plagues and other calamities. One of the volumes that became my companion this year has been my copy, now well-worn, of St. Julian of Norwich's Revelations. You may know her story. Julian was a Christian mystic of the 12th century in Norwich, in what would become England. She lived through a time of great suffering. The Black Plague, which killed nearly half the population of Norwich during her childhood, tremendous inequality, exploitation, and suffering, attempts by the working poor to organize and demand better conditions, endless war, moralism and literal self-flagellation, and chaos in the church. Amidst all this suffering, amidst all these reasons to feel far from or betrayed by God, Julian came to know and testify to the embrace of God's love and abundant goodness. Julian had mystical visions as a young woman that she spent years reflecting on and writing about. Her visions affirmed the essential goodness of the human person, that every human person is intimately and endlessly and abundantly loved by the divine creator. She writes, I saw that there is never a time when God began to love humankind. Humankind has been known and loved from without beginning. For even before God made us, God loved us, 
and when we were made, we became able to love God. In this endless love, she continues, the soul is kept whole. In such an endless love, we are led and preserved by God and shall never be lost. what Julian's early life was like. Maybe she was taught that the human condition was sinful. Maybe she was taught that sinners could never fully repent for their sins. Maybe she was taught that people suffer due to impiety, that exploited peasants should just obey their feudal lords, or that the wealthy were somehow better people. Maybe she believed deep down that she was sinful, never good enough for her parents or society or God. Julian doesn't tell us what her life was like before her revelations. In fact, all she writes about is God. There's something beautiful about that. Her heart is so overflowing with love for God in Jesus, with the miracle of God's love for creation, that she can't talk about anything else. Whatever psychic chasm she may have experienced before are sealed now in God's love. She is not dictating but inviting her readers into that sacred relationship, that outpouring and centering of the divine beloved and the sacred relationship of communion with the divine is a way to avoid the idolatry of obsession with human power and control over other bodies that recurs age after age. Amidst every reason to feel far from God, Julian's writing is a testimony to the closest intimacy, to the abundant goodness of creation. What would it take to really believe this about ourselves, about others, What would it take to believe what the gospel tells us? That nothing can ever come between us and the love of God. As we know, spirituality is not navel-gazing. It is not self-absorbed to the exclusion of others. Remember, the first great commandment, as we hear in the gospel of Mark, is to love the Lord with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls, and yes, with all our bodies, And the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does it mean to truly embrace and see ourselves and other created beings as God sees us? How do we open to that love, that grace, that forgiveness? How do we embody and extend it to others? Sometimes it helps to start by noticing ways we're not doing that. Ways that we're being self-sabotaging or running ourselves into the ground to please the monsters of capitalist perfectionism. Ways that we judge or exclude or talk down to others, sabotaging the gifts of God in them. Ways that we turned a blind eye to suffering 
ways that we ignore, perhaps, harmful language and behavior of others. All the times that we choose to stay in comfort and foreclose on the possibility of transformative life through intimacy with others, with God, with ourselves. Sometimes it's helpful to start by noticing what is going well. The warmth of the sunlight, the cool light of the moon, how good it feels to sit and laugh with friends, to notice the artistry of revolutionary change, to notice when we feel most alive in prayer, in art, in dance, in rest, in acts of giving and loving and receiving, to celebrate the risks taken and the possibilities turned into realities of transformation and love. As more and more leaves fall to the ground, my walks are slower as I'm picking up leaves left and right. My favorite leaves are not the perfect ones, the ones that are all one color or perfectly symmetrical. My favorite leaves are pocked and torn, multi-hued, caught in the process of transformation like us, holy in their imperfection. God wants for us life. God offered us life and so much wants for us to fully participate in that celebration. In Julian's view, Sin is the only thing that separates us from the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of one another. I know that sin is not such a popular word nowadays, but I want to affirm her words. I want to affirm that sin is real. Manifest in racism, in sexism, in thinking less of or treating less others based on their appearance, their language, national origin, body, ability, and disability, and everything in between. Sin is relational. It's how we disrespect God in others and diminish the life force that God has given to others in equal measure to us. But there's more, too. When we are lost in sin, when we are confused or depressed, or anxious, or feeling low. God does not leave us there to figure it out ourselves. God comes after us. God comes into our brokenness and the chasms of our minds and of our social body. Grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there is a void to receive it. And it is grace itself which makes this void. 
Today, I will leave you with the words of Psalm 139. May they be a blessing to you as they are to me. O God, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You know my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips, but you, Lord, know it. You press close behind and before and lay your hand upon my shoulder. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I fly to the dawn or plunge into the depths of the sea, even there you are with me. This has been Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. Thank you for listening.